Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Dennis McGrath. Rookie Blue completed its second hit season this summer on Global in Canada and ABC in the United States. The program has found a winning formula with its mix of fun and pathos as it explores the lives and loves of young cops on the beat and on the make. We're joined tonight by co-creator, executive producer, and showrunner Tassie Cameron, and by co-exec producer and writer Russ Cochran. I want to welcome uh, Russ Cochran and Tassie Cameron from Rookie Blue uh, to talk to us tonight about the show. We're all very excited about this. Um, I guess maybe we should start by congratulating you guys. You, like, that second season, you were, for several weeks, you were the top-watched program in Canada. Great, you know, ratings way up over uh, season one, a huge success. I mean, a hit by any measure of the imagination. It must feel really good. Does it? (laughs) Nice. Good. I I realize that's that's one open-ended question you can't ask a Canadian. (laughs) It's okay if you say it feels good. Um, uh, Tassie, let's go back to the beginning. And, and you know, uh, it was interesting. You you did you talked in the Globe and Mail uh, when the show was first getting started about the sort of you know the very sort of interesting and unique process of uh, of pitching the show and getting it online and stuff. I'm wondering if you could retell that story a little bit. The, the project started as Copper, and you and you're one of the co-creators. So can you tell a little bit about where it came from and how how uh, it came to be on ABC? I guess. Mm-hmm. 
About the uh, when you revisited the idea and you and you, you went you moved from that what was it that original script that had gotten written? Um, I'm interested first of all in sort of what was the essence of how you how did you pitch the U.S. networks on this? What besides the economic elements? What did you, what did you feel for the story was and uh, what did you pitch it with? What did you leave behind? Any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, did you? I mean, was there a document that you left oh, them? You say imposter syndrome, you mean... I mean, like, they can totally make it, like, right. the feeling that, that whether you're a writer or an executive or a cop or, you know, that you're, especially when you're starting out, um, that everybody feels like a fraud and you're waiting to be discovered or revealed as the fraud that you fear you are. And so I'm actually not feeling that I think many of us have kind of amplified by the fact that these are 25-year-old kids with guns and with people's lives in their hands on the first Do you still have them? About uh, an, an ABC, like did ABC like buy it in the room? No. Well, okay, come on, but you, this is pretty close. I mean, how, so how long did you have to wait? Okay. 
and from that point, then, what's the next step? Then, did you? I mean, did you come? Did you write a Bible? Did you just start beetling on scripts? Like, what, what, what? Walk me through sort of from that green light. I mean, because it's you know incredibly unusual circumstance that you know you get global buying it off a script that wasn't really the you know the script that they they bought the potential of what the, what they saw. They bought the concept, right? And then you had this AB. So you come back, and now, of course, great, you got to do the work. Um, so how did that progress? Did you start hiring your, your room right away, or did what, what happened as far as that goes? Yeah, I mean, Tassie, you were a pretty experienced hand at that sort of thing by then. You'd, you'd gone through basically the same process with Flashpoint, you know, a, a little little while before that. Um, they had a they had a shot pilot, but you know, you, you know, right. But um, but there was still that sort of. What did you find about? What do you find is different about that development for uh, U.S. network rather than Canadian network? How how is the culture different? How is the process different? I think a lot of people are sort of curious about that. Their input or or their approach to like do, do they do they want different things? Do they ask for different things. Uh, is the way they ask for them different? Does it is it a 
you know, like I mean, is dealing with with them at that sort of development stage. I, I just, I mean, was it was it was it something you were used to? Was it something that was outside of your comfort zone? I feel like getting into This is where we plug them. We like to, we like to plug the good executives. It, it was, it's it's, who is it? It's Quinn Taylor. I, I met Quinn Taylor. He's he's a very on the ball guy. Okay, I'm going to do the thing now, which you're never supposed to do if you're a lawyer. But, but here, I'll ask the question or the answer to. But, but I am curious about it. Did you ever? I'm wondering if this is a construct that was in the papers, or if you guys came up. Did you ever refer to the show as Grey's Anatomy with cops, or was that something the media created, or where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. down on that kind of shorthand, because I mean, you know, I know people who just say it's deadly. If you get nailed into that, it's this beats that, you know, you get, it, it's, it does more harm than good. And then some people swear by it. Is that something you like to do with, with stuff or not? I, I tried to do the pitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
talk about that, that the first season then in that writer's room coming together and, and that's why I was really glad when, when Russ and you were available to join us on, on this night because because um, I think that a lot of times on the outside you know you it's it's a little hazy uh, you know what are the roles of different people and, and what do people do and what do, you know what what functions do different people perform in a writing room is it just you know writers or what's the stratification what are the duties and all that sort of stuff so tell me about how you became involved in it and then sort of uh, talk a little bit about, like, I guess, about, about the working rhythm that the two of you fell into. So what's the pattern? What's Killjoy Cochran have to say about how we're going to shoot this? Yeah. Second, it's like being a second is a very cool job. 
because like because you because I find uh, maybe tell me if you find this the same the same way. Um, it's incredibly satisfying because you're helping somebody out that desperately needs the help, and you know you get you know you get all the counsel in the world, and you really feel like you're making a difference, and you know you can hopefully you know, you can help the other writers, and you can help your showrunner, and you're there to sort of you know to smooth the producer. It's it's a good role to be able to play, I think, and it's I, and I think it it really is a it's an interesting political position in terms of the writing room and how you do it. And the people that are really good at it are really good at it. Like, it's a really important skill. How do you sort of balance that side of the side that has... There's all this stuff that has nothing to do with actually... Oh, and then you have to be a great writer, too, right? Uh, how much do... Like, where did you pick that stuff up? Is that just an experience thing? What sort of... Uh, any sort of... Uh, stuff that you heard from people coming up that sort of helped you in that role? How did you approach it? What kind of stuff did you depend on Russ for? Like, how does that work in terms of... Yeah. 
being able to identify that is so, I mean, that's, that is the meat of it. It's funny because I remember very clearly, I was, I was down in L.A. working on a show, uh, 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 you know, a, a less, uh, I was working down in L.A. working on a show when, uh, when uh, you, you uh, when it premiered. And, and of course, and because L.A. being a very lonely city, um, I didn't know anybody. So when Rookie Blue came on, I was actually quite excited. It was like either Mad Men, that gives me something, that gives a shape for my Sunday. And then when Rookie Blue came on, I remember watching the first few weeks and just go, and, and just sitting there going, there is no way that this should work. Why does this work? This is really, and really actually being kind of fascinated by the, the balance that you guys were doing. So I'm just wondering, in terms of the, the room and, and as the show developed and stuff, did you have a sense of, uh, did, did, were you, did you ask yourself, you know, who's, was it from the audience point of view? Were you saying to yourself, now, who, who's our audience for this show and what do we want to give them? And uh, like, how did you sort of navigate that tone? How did that come to be? Hey, well, that's, that's why they paint. They don't actually paint. All right. Anyway. I mean, you know, because I think Tom is sometimes our biggest challenge on this show. You didn't want to set yourself up for something easy. We didn't know that really from the beginning. It seemed kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's amazing. One of the admirable things about the show that that, that was there right from the beginning, and I really that I thought was quite deft, was that you know we often have this problem here that that we um, we don't go for it. You know, we have this thing where sometimes we'll write, uh, or in Canadian drama, for one reason or another, you you won't play the emotional 
moment. You'll, you'll undercut it. You'll, you'll, you'll go up to the edge of it, but you won't really let it sit. You guys always let it sit. You always, you know, deliver that moment. You deliver it in the, in the comedy. You deliver it in the, uh, in, the, um, in the dramatic side of it, too. And, and it's just odd that those two things can coexist the way they do. But you've shown that that's – I think that's kind of why you have the fan base you do who are as dedicated to the show as they are. Because you, you, you really do give the people that love the show um, – so you give them something to chew on, and I think that's sort of the, you know, the nature of it. And now I'm, I'm <laughs> absolutely <laughs> rambling. Cops really are funny. <laughs> they really are, yeah. Right. Did you test the show before it went on there? No testing? Just went on the air? Oh my god. And so so now what was <laughs> Actually, you know what? I know they tested it because I was, cause I, I was, I pitched ABC after they had tested it, and then what's his name, Taylor, was just like, oh, tested very well, tested very well, and it was like, and it was just one of those things where it's like, we have something that's going to do. Well. <laughs> it was like that kind of funny thing. Um, tell me a bit about um, uh, the size of the staff and sort of the makeup. How many, how many people did you have? How many writers did you have in your first season? And how many do you have now? How, the, how has that changed? It's not mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, we have seven. Seven with me. And I got this year, and I think we have nine the first year, and maybe nine, ten, kind of setting up for any number last year. Mm-hmm. Some people came in for shorter contracts. And, and so, so, so really, it's not last year. I don't want to walk the razor blade too much here, but, but you... Uh, the other thing that one hears in the great roiling gossip of the of the writing community in this country, and don't worry, Sandra, I, I'm not being mean here, is that Rookie Blue is a, is a remarkably functional writers, like not just writers' room, but production. Like you guys run well, and everybody works well together, and uh, and for the benefit of all the suffering out there, um, why? What do you guys do? Like, what, how do you and Alana and you two and like, how, what the hell are you doing? Uh, why does it work? Why does it work that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the wrong day to be asking, you know. So you instituted the asshole rule, I guess. It's funny how everybody gets there, you know? It's just, and no matter how talented, no matter how awesome, no matter how successful. You know, it doesn't mean we can all be assholes, and I can work with some big personalities, my partners, and I can have a lot of big personalities. And there are, you know, we all care deeply, so there's arguments, and 
Yeah. Well, you know, let's touch wood. Good for you on that. Um, tell us a little bit, just a little nitty gritty, and then we'll show the show. Um, just that this is the, the sort of the uh, the standard questions. How long generally? Uh, how long for outlines? How long are your outlines? How long are your drafts? This is the this is wonk corner, right? How long are your scripts? How long are your outlines? How long do you give people to write them? How long to draft? How long to second draft? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whichever you want to, whichever you want to answer. We have a request for real. my peripheral vision, I think I just saw like three or four writers in the room literally pinch themselves going, no, that can't be right. It's not right. Because um, they're not having to do an outline. Not they're not having to do an outline. Well, some writers look very nice and like, comments every day because he loves them. Really? And he'd like to write a 45-page outline. Go to town. You know, yeah. Just, I don't want to read it. Yeah. Um, I find I'm very official about that. I like to see things on the board and like form around a page. I'd rather be surprised in the writing and in the reading a little bit. Right. And I trust the writers. I want the writers to have fun and surprise themselves, surprise me. I'd like a little room for that to happen. Those one pages, do you have all the turn? Oh, the one, the one slash two pages. Are all the turns there? Is there a little bit of hand waving? A little bit of this? I'm waving my hands. Yeah. I can't do them very well without the beach. I do my beat line first. Okay. That's just how Russ Cochran rolls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eleven forty-five at night, you're like, "Oh, Cochran!" <laughs> Yeah. I 
So you zoom through the pipe and the stuff that's easier to understand. You break out the stuff that maybe might be a sticking point a little further. Oh, okay. Right. Sorry, hang on a second. Spoiler alert. Anyway, um, beyond that, <laughs> listen, it's Canada, man. You're lucky if they don't if they don't put the ending in the press release, right? They are brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Promise. Uh, uh, um, so then, from there, from the beat line, and when you, how long are your drafts, and how much do you, how much do your do you do you go for long first drafts? Like, how, what's your page count, and what do you get them down to for production? I think we also have probably too much time trying to keep our page count down so production doesn't work out. Right. So I would say, I mean, I would have to go ahead and get for drafts. At least for the writing room, which is the writing room, the fellow producers that are 60 pages, 60 long pages. But then we work hard to get them down to between 54 and 57 pages. Oh, is that what you shoot? 54, 57? Between 54 and 57. Do you ever, is this just me? Do you ever have nightmares about your first AD coming into the room, breathing fire, and hitting you over the head with the script? It's <laughs> true.
That's the sneaking suspicion that there's an element of that, that they're just fucking with us. They're just holding back what's hard and what... It's like, if you ever figure out what's actually hard and easy to do, then, you know, we won't be the, the, the saviors. But um, I, I think that uh, I think that's, that's a really good point about, about sort of not censoring yourself to the point because you, you just never know. You know, give them the, the moon and, and see what they come back with. Somebody once, uh, I don't know, who's, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, uh, you know, an actor with a great face is your cheapest special effect. Oh. Okay, so why don't we hear a little bit about, why don't you, do you want to set up the episode that we're going to watch today? And a little bit about, because uh, it's interesting, we were back and forth about what are we going to show, what are we going to show, and I think you, you said you came, you wanted to come with one that sort of, that changed a lot. So you want to set that yeah, up a bit? It's just an interesting episode to watch. 
Right. Okay. Well, and what's the episode called for the people for the people following on on iTunes? The one that got away. So go buy that and watch it on iTunes and uh, pay your dollar twenty nine and or your two ninety nine and uh, and we're going to screen it here and we'll be back to talk more with Tassie and Russ. Thanks very much, guys. Talk about Steve DeMarco for a second. Is he really? Yes. The guy that made, the guy that makes your budget. <laughs> yeah. They get, and they give you their little program. <laughs> How long do you? Uh, well, what's your? How long do you shoot an episode, and how? Um, you know, how much in, how much out, all that sort of stuff. Seven. Okay. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. 
It's a rig and nobody wants to get How do you guys do it? always have a rudder on set? No? We leave it to the directors most Is there a short understanding yeah. about that?
Can we circle back to the uh, to, to breaking for a second and how you guys break the story? Because one of the things I I notice frequently about Rookie Blue, and you see it in this episode too, is that uh, you guys really you, you have very very strong, clean act outs. And uh, I mean, so do you? Is there any sort of special secret to your breaking process, or I mean, do you do, do you start at the end and figure figure out the act outs and fill it, how do you do that? talk a bit about specifically this episode, about sort of why, what was so problematic about it. You, you mentioned before we, we screened it that uh, at one point it was supposed to be your season premiere and then you moved it to seven. So tell me about, tell, relive the hell for me.
not a river. Number of times you do that thing where you just hit the stupid, stupid. Does that ever do? Do you do you find that is it as painful every time? Do you? Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? funny things when we were setting up this event uh, is I decided I had the brainwave for the first time that, you know, I, maybe I'd try to, you know, do that lazy crowdsourcing thing of, of looking for questions. And, of course, what we wound up getting was a bunch of rookies of the fans who found the page. Because, of course, I forget you actually have an audience and you have millions of people that watch it every week. So what we got was about 1,500 questions of, Ask them if this person is going to do this this year, and are we going to meet this person, and how that's going to happen, and why didn't episode six did they say that, and, and how come the phasers make a sound in space, and, you know, and, uh, and uh, I basically have women all over North America hating me right now, but, um, which is not really a change, uh, but, um, so, without sort of asking, running down those 15 questions, just because I said I would, can you do the tease for season three? It's a while since they're until they're going to see it, but and don't spoil us. But you know what kind of stuff can you tease us with that 
that you're working on right now that you, you can sort of, I don't know, slip something in for? Episodically, does the theme? Do you ever? I mean, do you start with a theme? Do you find as the theme? Do you find the theme as you're sort of breaking it? Like, how does that work? funny because I think that, you know, I almost think that there's there's a subtle change that's come about 
I always thought it was interesting how, you know, the Brits, what we call a season, the Brits call a series. It's series one, series two. And I always thought that was really interesting and that idea of, of setting a theme for the entire season of it. And it's almost kind of like since we, you know, since we moved to DVD box sets and stuff like that. And cable, of course, does that really well. Um, now that's leaked back to network stuff. And you look at, like, network dramas now that never used to, you know, Time was uh, 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 even a top network drama. Season three and season one, you might you know you might lose cast because somebody asked for too much money. But they were it was the same show. Whereas now this whole idea of I mean I like the elegance of the theme you know theming each season. Do, uh, do you think that changes the way that you approach your work at the beginning of the season? Is it is it is it bit easier? Is it harder? Is it just you know naturally internalized or? I think for me I almost can't see it. It's almost like you can sleep better at night if, at the end of it, you see you feel like there's an there's an inevitability to the story that you told in that in that slot. It's interesting. Um, you also are in an incredibly enviable position, and and you know, hopefully getting rare, getting like uh, more and more common all the time. In that you've got this huge fan base, you've got a million and a half people watching, and I know that you're both sort of in various ways onto Twitter. And stuff like that. So let's talk about your fan base for a minute and, and, and sort of that idea of managing uh, the fact that people, not they know your show, they, lo- they like your show, they want to know about it. I mean, uh, what have you learned in terms of managing that side of it? I mean, this is a big thing right now, showrunners, and how are you going to actually make part, you know, what do you do to engage with your audience, and how far do you go, and how much do you let them in, and how much do you hold them at a remove, and it's something that everybody's figuring out as they go along. So I'm just wondering what your experiences with that have been. I think for me, it got me off board this whole, so she was nice. I really got, it brought in this lady to kind of keep us in that social 
Okay, so true confessions time. There's, there's this heartbreaking interview with Dan Harmon that basically he, like, he, he watches Community, and he watches it, and the laptop's on his lap, and he's hitting refresh, like you know, like a like a rat hitting a Skinner bar every 30 seconds, right? And it's like, and he and he tells the story about the episode that they were most worried about last year, and when people re- and they were really worried about it, and the network hated it, nobody wanted to do it. And when, you know, it went across and we started seeing the tweets coming in and people loving it, that, like, literally he started to cry and he couldn't stop crying. And it, so, I mean, not that it's that dramatic or stuff, but basically I'm asking you, do you sit there and do you refresh the Twitter while it's going out? Are you, are you checking? Yeah. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, I sit there. I mean, it's... Nice to think about at 3 a.m. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's a that's a good place for me to leave it. So now everybody here has been very patient. So why don't we open it up to, uh, to questions from the audience here and uh, let's see what people have to say. Yes. I'm, I'm going to do the thing where I'm going to because you're off mic. I'll repeat basically the question. The question is about David Wellington, who's, you know, the executive producer, but he's also sort of your producing director. So do you want to talk about what that brings to a show as well?
question right back there.
Well, and, and there's the whole element that, you know, they're writers, so they're all, you know, it's, it's cats in a bag, misfit toys, you, you know, like all that sort of stuff. So it's a question about the rigorousness of the theme and talking about the episode that we screened here earlier, which is called The One That Got Away, season two episode. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's like it's like leave the judgment to the audience because they're going to do it anyway. Right. You don't judge the characters right. when you're writing them. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Uh, next question. Yes. So we have a question about uh, consultants and a question about the story room process. We do work with consultants. Uh, it's very important to us to be as real as possible whenever and we can when, when we have a choice to make. We try to go through the real choice procedurally. Um, so we work with, we have sort of one main consultant, but we bring in consultants at the beginning of every year would never happen. Our network, you got two networks you got to deal with. Are they in sync with their notes?
How'd you solve that uh, that uh, conundrum without ratting out who you went with? I mean, I, you know, uh, how did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Are you And then the next person will be, I'm, I have six questions, and they're nested. And uh, so, somebody else with a question out there? Oh, come on. Yes. The old standby. <laughs> when you get a note that you don't agree with, do you do you throw things? Do you put things in the walls? How do you how do you get past it through it? It's like always respect, if you don't necessarily respect their solution, but respect the bump. Mm-hmm. 
Slamming the door. Closing, yes. So it's a question about rip from the headline stories and how far can you go and how much do you have to change it and is there a big difference between that, between the Canada, between the Canada, apparently, which is what I'm calling it now, and the United States. I think it's, it's the idea they have what they what's liable here. It's what they call reverse onus, and that makes all the difference. I think in the states, it's just it's a different legal standard, and it's actually harder. for one more. Yes. So I'm not sure if this is like a private conversation question or something that you'd be willing to answer. <laughs> That's a great preamble right there. I think there's a good question there. That's uh, the question is about apprenticing writers and grooming uh, apprentice showrunners and such. A, but I think there's a much there's a larger thing there about the responsibility of you know senior writers like yourself to groom talent as you're working along. So what's your do you have a particular philosophy on that on how you help people how you bring them up or? Okay. 
Do you think, do you think that we have a problem with that in, in Canada in terms of, you know, and maybe it's not just an in Canada problem, because if you look at the way the U.S. industry has gone in the last way, there used to be a much more codified kind of way of how people were brought up uh, through the ranks and given more responsibility, and now you find a lot of these shows are having trouble because there's that sense of apprenticeship and that sense of learning. I mean, you know, it's an enormous job. There's a lot, there's so many details that you, that you have to know to do it. Uh, and you've said even yourself during this evening, I mean, you can't focus on all of them. There's some that you've got to, there's some that Russ has got to do. There's some that you've got to give over to your producing partner and your, and you know, your directing producer and all that sort of stuff. It's a lot of moving parts. Do you think we have a problem in that maybe we don't uh, do enough to, bring people up with us on shows at all. I guess I've been lucky to be trained by people who were very generous to me and who mm-hmm. let me have as much responsibility as they felt I during that. So mm-hmm. that was how uh, you know, and even starting the shows like Degrassi where I was my first job and Lynn Spider and you know brought me and Aaron Barton into that show and we were brand new writers but
Cassie, you used the word a little bit when you first started to answer that last question, um, generous. And I think that's an excellent, I think it's an excellent word. And I think that's what it's about. It's about generosity in terms of approaching the people that work with you and respect and, and all that sort of stuff. And you, you certainly have shown it on the show and everybody that works with you says it. And, uh, and you've also been very generous with us tonight, both of you coming by here. It was a real thrill to finally be able to do this with Rookie Blue. Congratulations on the continued success of the show. And uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us tonight and sharing your, your, your time and your insight with us. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please log on to iTunes and leave us positive feedback to help increase the profile of the show. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Dennis McGrath, reminding you that cops like donuts. Homer Simpson can't be wrong. <laughs>